in week three, we, we had week two of a series last week, and we had a, a special speaker, uh, Pastor Reverend Archbishop Jerry Sims, doc, doctor. Um, thank you, Dad, for filling in. I, um, he, he comes over to the house sometimes and, and will cook, and he takes over my grill. And he, and he doesn't even let me in my own house grill. And so I told him last week, I said, look, I can't leave the house, but you're going to preach this. And I told him what he had to preach. I thought that was a fair trade-off. And so he preached a message on, uh, uh, on love. Our series that we're in is called From Tent to Table, From God's Presence to His Purpose. And what does, what is God's purpose? We find that at the table with Jesus. So a couple of announcements before we get going. Uh, this morning we have week two of Next Steps. Those of you that started two weeks ago, week two is this morning. Um, we've got, uh, it's 45 minutes right after service, and lunch is provided, child care is provided if you need it. Uh, and then it's, it's kind of, um, th- there are two sessions, and this is session two, but you don't necessarily have to go in order. So if you've been trying to get in and you, you were like, man, I missed two weeks ago, and then I came last week, and now I'm here, and I'm, 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 I'm going to get in where I can get in. That's what I would say. So hop in to Next Steps. Uh, we'll wrap it up, and you'll be a half graduate, and then you can come back and, and do, the, do the first part. And uh, I promise you that's okay. Uh, we, we had to, a couple weeks ago, we had to, we had to skip our, um, uh, we had to, postpone our baptism portion of our service. And so that's coming up in a couple weeks. Let me encourage you, if God's been moving in your heart, if he's done something, if you made a decision to follow Jesus with all of your heart, now's the time to do it. You can, uh, there's, a, um, there's a card in your bulletin, a, a connection card, and you can just mark that and say, I'm ready to get baptized, and we'll get with you about what that means and how you can make, uh, take that next step of faith in your life. It is um, it's a command of Jesus but it's also a gift of Jesus that we get to be called sons and daughters. And the way we, the way we show that, the way we respond to that is in baptism. And um, the, uh, believe it or not, in about three weeks, four weeks, we will, our church, from when we first officially gathered together in the same building as a church and had our first service, we'll, that will mark two years now. Those two years might as well have been 20 years. It's been, it's been a weird two years. But it has been, I, I, those of you that have been with us, whether you're just now joining us now, you could probably say pr- pretty much the same thing, that it's been, um, it's been a while two years. And uh, if you've been a part of our church, you could attest to this to say it's been wild, but man, God, God's been with us the whole time. Like when he said he wasn't going to leave, like, I was thinking maybe a few months ago, like, I think now's the time he's probably going to leave. If he's ever going to leave, he's going to leave now. <laughs> and he just didn't. Not only has he not left, but he continues to lead. And so we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks our two-year birthday. We'll have a birthday party in here. We'll still have service. Bring a friend or, or, or some of your family. And we'll have service, but we'll also be, be partying. And because um, I think, we'll get into this today, I think at the core of God, in the center at the core of who he is, the way his love is expressed is primarily through joy and celebration. And so if you, ha- if you have a challenge, if, it, if it's hard for you to be joyful or if it's hard for you to celebrate, then get closer to Jesus because he'll make you 
He'll make you party. He will. That's, that's who he is. All right. Last but not least, small groups launch today. We got some new groups that are starting. There's a, a form in your seat, and I'll uh, mention that again toward the end of the message today. It's, um, it's, it's, it's such an important time now, if it's ever been important, and it has been, but if we've ever recognized it, it's such an important time to be with people, to be with other people that love Jesus and that can encourage you and that can encourage me and sharpen us, and, um, and, and that's what small groups is all about, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. All right, let's dig into the text. I've got a, a, a fun passage this morning. John chapter 2 is our teaching text for the morning. This is uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the fourth, uh, number four of the Gospels, and they all tell their story, their testimony of Jesus. And so those of you in here that would say, hey, Jesus has done something huge in my life, and um, you could probably tell your story. And the same Jesus has done something huge in the person beside you, and he's done something miraculous and huge in the person beside them. But all of your stories are going to be unique. And so this is the four Gospels. We get the perspective of each of them. And John's is especially unique. I love it. And so we're picking up in verse 2. This translation, uh, a lot of times we, we bounce around in some translations. We'll use um, the NIV a lot of times. This one's called the Passion. So it's just a... It's just a um, uh, a paraphrase. It just paraphrases what's going on, but I love the way some of this, um, some of the way it's worded. So beginning in verse 2, now on the third day, Jesus's mother went to a wedding feast. Now the third day would be, if the first day is Sunday in Jewish tradition, the third day would be what? Tuesday. So the first day is Sunday in Jewish tradition, the third day would be Tuesday. You guys are brilliant. All right, here we go. This is Tuesday. Tuesday. Say it however you say it, no matter where you're from. All right, it's Tuesday. Jesus' mother went to a wedding feast in the Galilean village of Cana. Jesus and his disciples were all invited to the banquet, but with so many guests, they ran out of wine. So when Mary realized it, she came to Jesus, her son, and asked, they have no wine. Can't you do something about it? So picture this. Jesus has not begun his ministry. So he's just non-ministry Jesus. And a lot of people, kind of there's rumors about him, but a lot of people, they don't know who he is. But his mom comes up to him and says, hey, I need you to do something for me. Now, even Jesus, even Jesus is going to have to follow orders when mom says something. So mom comes up to him. They're at a, um, a wedding feast. She says, can't you do something about it? And so verse 4, Jesus replies, my dear one, Y'all ever refer to your mom like that? My dear one? My dear one, don't you understand if I do this, it, is, it will change nothing for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. So Mary then went to the servers and told them, whatever he tells you to do, do it. <laughs> so I don't know how you interpret this. I can tell you how I read it. Jesus says, hey, I, I, this is going to really throw a monkey wrench in the things that I'm trying to, that I'm trying to get done right now. And so it's not going to change anything for you. It's going to change a lot of things for me. And I can see his mom going, I understand. <laughs> Whatever he says, do, do it. And then Jesus is like, okay, mom said, let's go ahead and start. You know, 
you know, freeing the entire history of the world, like the, the master plan of bringing freedom to all of creation. Mom said it's time. So whatever Jesus says tells you, do it. So nearby stood six stone water pots meant to be used for the Jewish washing rituals. Each one could hold about 20 gallons or more. So Jesus came to the servers and instructed them, fill the pots with water right up to the brim. I, I love this whole story. I feel, like I, could, I feel like we could do a whole series on the joy of the Lord, and we are going to. It's just not going to be this morning. So Mary then, uh, holding 20 gallons or more, Jesus came to the servers, instructed them, fill them up all the way to the brim. Verse 8, then he said, now fill your pitchers and take them to the master of the ceremony. So there's, a, there's an event coordinator there. And he's in charge. And he doesn't know what's going on. And Jesus says, take the cup filled with water to the event coordinator. Verse 9, and when they poured out their pitchers for the master of ceremonies to sample, the water had become wine. And so he, when he tasted the water, it had become wine. The master of ceremonies was impressed with its quality. Although he didn't know where the wine came from, only the servers knew. And he says this, he calls the bridegroom over, and he says to him, every host serves his best wine first until everyone has had a cup or two, then he serves the cheaper wine. But you, my friend, have reserved the most exquisite wine until now. Verse 11, this miracle in Cana was the first, that's important, everybody say first, of the many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee that revealed his glory, revealed who he was, the weightiness of who Jesus is. And his disciples believed in him. So in a series from tent to table, we're picking up on the, on the metaphor, that picture of the Israelites in the wilderness, in the Old Testament, and Jesus uh, and, and um, God had instructed them on how they were to carry God's presence around. And people were so, they didn't have any idea. They were so unfamiliar. It was so foreign. What was very common were, were gods for everything, little g gods for everything, and, and over certain territories. So when, so when um, Yahweh, the Jewish God, said, this is how I want you to worship me, and it went past specific territories and went into new areas. It was just so foreign. It was so crazy for him to say, I'm the only one. And so he gives this template of how to carry his presence everywhere that he goes. And I showed a, a picture of it a couple weeks ago, and it basically looks like a tent. It, it, it looks like a, um, a tent, and they called this the tabernacle, or they called it the, the tent of meeting. And so we looked, and then we said, okay, now in the New Testament, Jesus has come, and John, the same guy that we just, uh, the, the author of that book that we just read, chapter 1, we just read chapter 2, chapter 1 says, and the Word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And that Word there, He dwelled among us, means that He actually, His presence with, was with us, and He tabernacled with us. So the Word, the eternal Word, Jesus, came and made His presence known with us. And so this is the, this is the picture that we're getting. And so this is what the Gospels are all about. Jesus revealing what it looks like to be a part of His kingdom, God's presence with us. Not just only a part of His kingdom, but a part of His family. So everything that we read is a glimpse and a picture of what it looks like to be a part of His family. And so when we think as a church, our, our table here should reflect those same characteristics. They should reflect those same table values 
that Jesus had. So that's what this series is on. This is our fall vision series, is what does Jesus' table look like? Our church needs to look and reflect the same. And if it doesn't look like Jesus, we don't want any part of it. And so that's, that's where we're at. Here's the, here's the question. If you could eat dinner with anyone in all of world history, who would, who would you eat with? They could be alive or dead. It doesn't matter. Who would it be? Now, the only thing is they have to be like a real person. You can't be like, you know, I'd eat with, you know, Wolverine or somebody. Like, I'm like, a, like, a, like a real person. Like who, who would think, put, put them in your, put in your mind, maybe if you're, um, if you're into sports, maybe it'd be, uh, you know, Babe Ruth. Or uh, LeBron, you know, maybe he's, he's still with us. I'm just saying, maybe you'd want to, or maybe if you're into military history, you'd say, I, wanna, I, wanna, I would like to have lunch with Napoleon or, um, or uh, Alexander the Great, or I don't know, maybe if you're into uh, political history, you'd say, I want to I wanna have words with Abraham Lincoln. I would like to dine with, with old Abe. Uh, Maybe, maybe if, you, uh, if you go back further, you'd say there's, a, there's family history. There's an ancestor in my, own, in my own family. I would like to meet them. I would like to talk to them. I have some, have some questions for them. How many people, raise your hand, if you have somebody you're like, I know exactly who I would. I'm not going to call on you. I'm just asking. All right. So, <laughs> I'm not going to call on you. Yeah, don't start hollering names out either. I already know your Sunday school answer. You're going to be like, Jesus. All right. Hold off. I, I, there is, I was told my ancestry, the Sims, all right, comes from, now, this is what I was told, so this is, I don't, mm. but I was told that if you go back, and I'm talking way back, way, way, way back, that the name Sims comes from uh, a Scottish um, family, a man named Simon, and Simon had uh, like seven or eight sons, and they were known as Simon's sons, and from Simon's sons, came the Sims uh, uh, tribe or clan or family. That would make more sense. So I, if, if I could go back, I would love to have a conversation with uh, Father Simon and just kind of see what, you know, what, what, what kind of similarities we have going on. If, if you have somebody in your mind, who would you go back and, and eat with? Now, y'all all know where I'm headed with this one. If you go back further, you can go all the way back to Bible times. How many of you would say, I'm going to be honest with you, if I really could eat with Jesus, I totally would sit down and I would have lunch with Jesus. I've got some questions. Larry King, who's interviewed, I don't know, I didn't look it up, probably over one billion people, um, said out of all the interviews that he's ever had and ever that he could have had, there's num the number one on top of the list, absolutely, if he could interview, was Jesus. Now, Larry King was Jesus, and was Jesus, was, a Jew was Jewish. And um, he said, if I could ask him anything, I'd ask him one thing. And it was this, was that was the virgin birth true? And he said, because if that's true, then it changes everything. But think, what all are all the questions you could ask Jesus if you were sitting across from him? You could be, you know, what was it like to walk on water? You know, what's heaven like? What's God like? You know, why did you pick Judas when you knew he was going to stab you in the back? You're like, you, you knew this was coming. Why would you... Why would you do this? What, I, I, I think that no matter your story, dinner with Jesus would be life-changing. Absolutely would be life-changing. You and I, there's, there's nothing about us that would be the same when we left after dinner with Jesus. 
but I, I, I have a conviction in my heart that the most life-changing part, the, the, the most um, defining characteristic would happen, not necessarily in our mind because of an answer that we got, but it would happen in our, in our soul. I think it would be even on a, on, on a deeper level. I think the defining characteristic of dinner with Jesus is one that stays with you long after your meal is over. I think that if we left dinner with Jesus, we would walk away and we would be so full on the inside, even if we never took a bite of food. Our souls would be so full. I don't know of another word to use that we could characterize that feeling other than joy. I think the, the greatest characteristic, the defining characteristic of that dinner, I think it would be joy. So what would it be like to eat dinner with Jesus? Whatever it would be like, it is full of real joy. And so today's table value that we're looking at is joy. Psalm 30 verse 11 says this, you've made known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of, what's that word? Joy. Not just joy, fullness of joy. In your presence is the fullness of joy, not glimpses, not fleeting moments of happiness or of bliss, but of deep, all the way in your soul, the core of who you are, parts, parts of you, some of you that you've never even gotten to in the depths of who you are, the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. The psalmist says, whatever God's presence is like, whatever it's like, it's full of joy. There's a story in Luke's gospel. After Jesus has died and rose from the grave, he's revealed himself to a few people, but there's two disciples that are walking on the road. They're walking away from Jerusalem. And so Jesus shows up and he starts talking to them. Now, they don't know that it's Jesus because of his resurrected body, because he kept that part you know, hidden because I don't know, I, w I wasn't there, but he, they didn't know that it was Jesus. And so they're talking to him, and the scripture says um, in, in Luke 24 that the guy that's walking with them explains everything about the scriptures. He explains everything about the scriptures, and then he disappears. And they realized who it was, that it was Jesus. And, it, and the verse says this. What is, so here's my question. What's the, what's the defining characteristic of the conversation? They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They didn't even know who it was. It was kept from them. But they knew something on the inside was on fire. You know what I think that was? True joy. Real joy. Jesus even says that's why he came. John 15, verse 11. The message says it this way. I've told you these things for a purpose that my joy might be your what? And your joy wholly mature. Because we don't have mature joy. We don't have mature joy yet. And we don't have any, we don't have any of our middle schoolers in here yet, but that would be an amen time. We, our joy isn't totally mature yet, all right? And I don't think it comes actually with age. I think our joy becomes fully mature the closer we get with Jesus because I'm convinced 
that his core attribute of God is love expressed through joy. It's even, it's even said that way when we look at Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and it's characterized by, what's that first word? Joy, then peace, patience, all the way through. What comes to your mind when we say joy? I think joy is an emotion, sure, but it's more than that. So joy, um, it's, it's, uh, sometimes we can get joy and happiness. There aren't, they, we can use them as synonyms, but they're not the same thing. Happiness depends on happenings or what happens to you. Joy is a focus or an internal character. It, 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 you can be joyful even in grief. Now, I don't mean that means when you're in grief, you're just doubled over in laughter. Clearly, that's not what we're talking about. Somehow you can be joyful even in grief. Happiness depends on the moment. You can have a lot of happy moments, but, you, but not every moment's going to be happy. Absolutely. Joy is internal. It's not external. Happiness doesn't last. It's temporary. Joy is eternal. Joy is infinite. In other words, it can't be stolen. You don't have to hoard it. You can share it. Your cup never, never runs empty. I think that's part of what the, what John is getting at when he talks about Jesus telling them to fill the, fill the uh, jars all the way up to the brim. There's more than enough. There will always be more than enough. That's how Jesus looks at it. And so this is one of the reasons why I believe the water and the wine story is so powerful. The wedding at Cana, Jesus is at a wedding. There's a lot of people there. Wedding celebrations last like three to five days. Have you ever been to a wedding that lasted three days? I've been to a wedding that felt like it lasted three days. I did not. I grew up, I used to have to, I had, there was a bitterness in my soul about weddings for a long time. All right, now I love coming, I love going to weddings now and, and, and being the officiant at weddings. I didn't always love that. I blame um, my parents because we used to go to weddings and my dad would get invited often because he would be the, the, the wedding officiant. And so I would have Saturdays planned out full of playing and hanging out and, and fishing. And I would wake up on Saturday morning and my dad would be like, hey, let's go, we're, we're headed to a wedding. And I'd be like, why God, why did you put me here? So, but weddings in, in Jesus's time could last Days Now, obviously not the ceremony. The guy's not up there just talking. It's the celebration. It, it could last days. So Jesus is there. And to, and to run out of supplies, specifically wine, would have been humiliating for the family. It was, a, it was a huge ordeal. And so Jesus' mom says, I need you to fix it. And so he realizes it's going to change everything for, for him. If Jesus fixes this, it, it, look, the rumor's out. Scuttlebud's out. Everybody knows we're out of the goods, and it's Tuesday. It isn't even Friday yet. It's Tuesday, day one. And, it's, and everybody knows, and Jesus knows it's going to change. And it's not, this isn't a, it's not a card trick, all right? It's isn't David Blaine pulling out the card, you know, from behind your ear. Be like, hey, was this your card? And you're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> this wasn't, you know, the disappearing helicopter or the, you know, the disappearing assistant. And, you know, you, you, you pretend like, you know, you stick the sword in her and then you open and then she's. It's not that. It's not magic. It's not a trick. This is a creative miracle. One that has to do with creation. One that shows this isn't just a, a, a sleight of hand trick. There were a lot of, there, there were a lot of um, wizard 
type people um, in Jesus' day. We don't, we don't call them wizards now, or at least not anybody I know. But there are people that, that like their career, their, their job is to, um, I don't know, I guess a, 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 cynic, a, a cynical way of looking at it would be to, to trick people or to dupe people or to mess with their minds. And so society was full of that in Jesus' day. That's not what this is. This is a creative miracle turning what was water into wine. And so this is going to change everything. There's something in Scripture, when you're studying the Scriptures, called the law of first mention. All right? It's the law of first mention. It basically just means it's the, it's the, it's the law of the first. And the idea is that you have a, when you, first time you come across a term or a word or a principle in Scripture, when it first appears, it tends to give clarity and definition to the fundamental meaning of that word or that principle from there on out. So if you come across it early on in the text, the very first time it shows up in Scripture, later on it should give clarity or definition to, to what that means. And so John, the author here, is a numbers guy. He's a numbers guy. Anybody ever read or, or tried to read the book of Revelation? You ever gone to the end, you flip through, you go to the back, and you just start seeing like there's, there's numbers everywhere. There's like 144,000, and then there's 12, and then all of a sudden you're looking, and there's seven bowls and seven trumpets and seven. It's crazy. There's numbers all over the place. Now, most of them are not literal numbers. They, they mean something because of the type of, of, of uh, literature that that is, type of scripture that it is. But John is writing the same guy, and in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a lot of miracles. There's a lot of stuff. But John is real intentional. And so he really only has like about seven miracles in the book of John. You would classify. Now, if there's seven and John the numbers guy is all about numbers and he puts seven all over the place, biblically, the significance oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes of seven is the number of completion. It means it's full. It's complete. It's whole. How many days were there in creation? There's seven, yeah. And, and on the seventh day, he rested, and everything was what? It was good. People were very good. And so there's seven miracles in John. Take a wild guess at what the first one was. It's this one. It's what we're looking at right now. And it's my, it's, it's, it's my belief, it's my conviction that this miracle shows and gives clarity to the heart behind everything else that we see in that entire gospel of who Jesus is. It's the first one that we see in the scripture, in the, in the book of John. And so the challenge, or let me say it this way, it shows that the defining characteristic of God's kingdom is his intention to bring, and his purpose is to bring joy into the world. Now, that's what the scriptures say. The challenge is, is that we have, we, we, we live in a world that chases joy, but really has no idea how to choose joy. There's a difference between chasing and choosing. I, I, I read an article uh, this week, and um, it's by a, a, a Wall Street Journal psychologist or whatever, and she's talking about uh, doing counseling sessions for years and years and years, for decades. And um, she talked about a patient that she had recently with, uh, uh, that was dealing really with a debilitating depression and anxiety. He's young, early 20s, uh, he's bright, thoughtful, whole future in front of him. 
Uh, but he was also playing video games every day, all day through the night, just nonstop. And so he comes to, to visit her and he says, uh, she says, look, 20 years ago, looking at what all was going on, she says, I would have prescribed a, 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 some type of antidepressant. She says, but now her first go-to for issues like this is what she calls a dopamine fast. And so she says, so uh, dopamine is a, a chemical that the brain um, produces, produces and it functions as a, as a neurotransmitter and it's associated with uh, feelings of pleasure and reward. And so uh, this chemical is being released every time the guy's playing video games all night and his brain's producing more, it's too much dopamine that his body had never, have, it never had time to recover and then balance it back out. It's just too much. It's nonstop. And so it's, 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 he's become basically an addict to this. And, and so have so many of us the way technology functions and is created now. It's actually created to treat us, to, for, to have us to become and treat us as addicts. And so this is what she says um, in the article. She says, we now live in a world of overabundance. The quantity, variety, potency of highly reinforcing drugs and behaviors has never been greater. In, ad in addition to addictive substances like sugar and opioids, there's a whole new class of electronic addictions that didn't even exist until about 20 years ago. So texting, tweeting, surfing the web, online shopping, gambling. These digital products are engineered to be addictive using flashing lights, celebratory sounds, and likes to promise ever greater rewards just a click away. Yet despite increased access to all these feel-good drugs, we are more miserable than ever before. So she goes on after that to talk about skyrocketing depression and anxiety rates in the world, mostly in North America, mostly. And so she, has this, she says, this is, she's not a Christian, she says we have an, an, an addiction to chasing dopamine I would actually say it's even deeper than science, um, that it's really on the, on the soul level. It's really deeper. It's really on the soul level, and there's only one true source of real joy. It's the message of the gospel. It's not new. You can hear it in a thousand, a million different, different angles from a thousand or a million different people. But the message is the same, and the source is the same. We live in a world that chases joy, but we have no idea where it is. And so Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this, the fruit of the Spirit produced within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows. So I believe one of the greatest challenges we face and the greatest gifts we can receive the greatest challenge we face is learning how to choose joy rather than chase joy. How do we choose it rather than chasing it? Scripture says the fruit of living in Christ is joy. You don't have to chase it. It just grows. It's just there. You don't have to chase after it. I've got a, uh, I've, I moved into my house a year ago and I walked out in the back and there were uh, three fig trees. Anybody like figs? Anybody love figs? You love figs. I, I, I moved in the house and I was so angry. And I thought out of all the trees in the world you could plant in my backyard, you planted a fig tree. 
And this man, this wonderful human, this guy lived there for 60 years. And um, actually, he was 90 years old when he passed away. And we moved in the house. He planted fig trees. They were full grown. And I was like, man, I just, I wish, I wish it was something else. I tried a fig a long time ago, one time, one good time. And I thought that's all I needed, right? Oh, you just got to try that fig one time. That's all, it was terrible. I did not like it. And so a couple weeks ago, we had two of our um, uh, two of our church family who are not here this morning, they came over to pick figs. And I was like, look, fill up. Fill up your bucket of figs. Doesn't matter. I don't want any. This tree is raining figs. Like if you walk by, there's so many they are coming. You're going to walk by and one of them's going to fall on your head. I mean, there, it's just, there's so many of them. And so they come over, um, David and Allison, and they're, they got a ladder out there and they're picking figs. And so I walk out. I've been working on my sermon and um, it's kind of the middle of the morning. Kids are off at school and I start talking to them, and, and they are so happy. And I'm happy that they're happy that they're picking all my figs because I don't want them. And David talks to me. He's like, man, you, you, don't, you don't like figs? And he gives me this look like, you, you sad child. And I was like, no, I wish I did. I, I, I wish I did. And he goes, you don't like these? And he picks this fig off a branch, and it's just it's, it's so delicious looking. And he just takes a bite on his own. He's not even trying to prove anything to me. He eats this fig, and it's just it's dripping. I hope you're watching right now, David. It's dripping. Just down the side of his and he's like, these are so good. And he was, and I thought, that is the face of true joy on his face right now. He's, and he goes, are you sure? And I was like, man, it's, I just don't like them. And he goes, okay. So he leaves. They leave. And, um, and I go over, and I'm like, man, this is, this is this is sad. I have, I have an endless supply of figs at my house. And um, I thought, you know what? I'm going to try it one more time. Let's do this. It's been years. It's been a long time. I'm going to go in for a fig. So I pulled this thing off. And I, and I, and I saw how David ate it because I was watching. I was learning. All right? People are always watching. All right? And so I take a bite and I go, oh, I'm expecting like, like spinach, basically. Like, I, this is going to be terrible. And I go, so I take another bite, because these are big. I've told you, these are legit figs. And then I started to eat them. And then I started to eat lots of them. They were so good. I ate about 20 of them. I came back out the next day, and I started eating like 20 more figs. Every morning after that, I would go, and that would be my breakfast. Just like old Joel, just going out there, and I'm picking figs off my tree to eat as I, you know, prepare for the day. The kids are asleep, and I'm just, that's me, just fig-picking Joel. I don't even know what that means. So, I mean, so, and I, I love it. I love it. They are so good now. So anybody that wants figs, you can't have them at my house anymore. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It just, it just grows. But being full of joy does require some cooperation. It does require us to pick it. It does require us to partake. It can be growing in the, in, the, in the depths of your soul if you are a Jesus lover, but you and I have to cooperate and pick and taste of that fruit. We have to do it. It's the core of who Jesus is. It is his purpose, what we just read earlier, of why he came was that his joy might be our joy. It's there. It's there, but we need to have the right definition, the right expectation, and the right cooperation with it. Some of y'all are like, look, Joel, I can't even remember the last time, to tell you the truth, that I was 
that I was joyful. And this is what I would say. I would encourage you, try again. Let's try again. Let's work on the environment of our heart because the core of Jesus and His purpose, purpose in ministry is that you and I might be full of joy overflowing to the brim and overflowing so that others can see God's goodness and turn and glorify Him. And so for us, joy is our response. That's how we say it at our church. Joy is our response. And so we want to choose joy. We don't have to chase it. You don't got to go outside anywhere else to go chase joy. It will not last. But you can pick it. You can choose it in your own life. So a couple of ways to cultivate an environment of joy in your own life. First one is this. Recognize God's presence. Recognize God's presence. Psalm 16. Here's David. Therefore, therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, and my flesh dwells secure. Everything that he is is full. Because you won't abandon my soul to Sheol, to death, or, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of what? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we surround ourselves with things that cultivate our awareness of God's presence. So ask yourself this, what is one thing in my life that is distracting me from recognizing God's presence in my life and what do I need to do or what can I do to remove it? How do I do that? How do I cultivate that tree? How do I cultivate what God's doing? God's presence is there. He doesn't leave. He can't leave. It's, it's who he is. And, the, and, and what is produced in that is joy. So what is, is, the, is there something in my life? The answer is yes. It's in my life. It's in your life. It's in our lives. How do we cultivate that? How do we recognize God's presence? The second one is this. This is how you choose joy. Practice gratefulness. Gratitude does not come natural. It doesn't. Talk to a toddler. All right? Y'all been listening to a few of them. All right? They, they are not grateful. Okay? It doesn't come natural. We're taught early that we have rights. The rights to do this or the rights to do that. We didn't bring ourselves into the world. God did. And so our primary posture should be when in relating to the things of God is of gratitude. But it has to be practiced. So we take ownership of our attitude. We take ownership of it. I've hit on this a few weeks ago. I'm not going to do it again right now. But you'll find it in so many of the messages here at the, here at the church. We want to take ownership. We want to practice. Um, um, we, we, we want to, we want to uh, recognize God's presence. And we want to practice gratefulness. We also want to practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. That's a fancy word. You want to... You want to cultivate joy and recognize that God has already accepted you. He's already given you his son and respond by doing something for somebody else. Something simple doesn't have to be big, but the joy of the Lord's already in there. So, so, so what do we do? Man, do, when's the last time you, you bought somebody else something? Could, I mean, a cup of coffee. Why? Because it's better to give than it is to receive. And you, you're cultivating joy in your own life. You're like, look what God did for me. I'm going to respond by giving to somebody else. If it's hard for you to do big things, which it is for most of us, it's a muscle that we have to exercise. And start off with the little things. You're at work with somebody, and you're just, just get, them, get, them, get them something. Practice hospitality towards somebody else in response to what God's done for you. Let somebody, um, 
Let's, whatever that thing is with you, you know, in, in, in your family. I remember going up in my family, it was uh, riding up front. All of us kids, there was four of us, we wanted to ride up front. Right, we wanted to ride shotgun. Anybody grow up like that? Like shotgun was the coveted seat? I remember the day my oldest brother, he's six years older than me, he was, he was in college at the time, and we went to the car, and he went to the front door, and somebody else was driving, and then he moved to the back and got in the back seat, and I hadn't even got in the car yet. And I went to the front, and I was like, what's wrong with you? And I got in the front seat, and I was like, what a loser. Like, who does that? He let me get in the front seat, and I, I still remember it because I was a teenager, and I just thought, what, what has happened to this guy? He, he can say anything that he wants, but the day he let me have the front seat, I thought, something's happened to this guy. <laughs> you, you figure out what that is. Practice hospitality. The, um, the fourth one is this, practice joy. So work at it. Emotions are important. You know, they're important. Your emotions are important. But sometimes they lie. Oftentimes they lie. So emotions can help give you insight, but we don't, we don't wallow in them. So we want to take ownership of that. And sometimes you just, sometimes you just got to say, you know, not today, Satan. We're not, we're not going there today. We're not going there this morning. Psalm 30 says this in response to dedication of the, of the temple. You turn my wailing into dancing. Everybody say dancing. You turn my wailing into dancing. This guy's talking about dancing. You removed my sackcloth, my mourning, clothes, clothes I wear to grieve, and instead clothed me with clothes of joy. What it, what, I went from wailing into dancing. I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying you got to get up and start dancing. I'm just saying that this guy recognized it. The way he recognized what God had done, had done was it began to be expressed in his body. He lifted his hands. He clapped his hands. He started moving around. He started responding with joy. Be joyful. The fifth one is this. Get together. Get together. Hebrews 10, I don't know that I have this up here, um, says this, let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Check this out. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Don't stop meeting together don't, don't, don't stop doing that, but instead, encourage one another. He's equating getting together and encouraging one another. You know what it does when we get together? You know what happens in the room or in a, in a service or in your house or in a small group? You know what that does? Seeing people, it encourages. There's something about it. We are in such a weird, unique difficult season and, and there's so many complicating factors that go into meeting together. It's, it, it, we're, it's, it's crazy. But I, can, I, can I say this? However best that we are able to do it, we can't stop being together. You and I can't stop being together. Whatever that looks like because that's where joy and encouragement is produced. We, we, we got to get together. I was talking to a guy this week, met with him, and um, uh, one of the guys that are in our church, he's younger in college, and he talked about, um, talked about working out. And I talked about how I didn't work out. And um, he talked about how he did work out. And he said, man, he goes, oh, man, I would, I'd never work out alone. 
He said, I'd never do that. He said, I got like 12 guys that we get together. He said, we work out like we're in pairs or whatever. He said, we're all on this big text feed. And he said, we just text pictures to each other. We're like flexing our muscles. And then we just make fun of each other. And we're like, y'all need to get to the gym. But it's, he's like, we never, he's like, I'd never make it alone. He said, so we just get, there's this, there's this group thing. And so we all are focused on doing this together. If it's true about working out, how much more true is it about the state of your soul? How much more do you and I desperately need to be together? Truth is, is it's, it, that word's appropriate. It, it is desperate. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna close this morning, talked for a while today, but I do wanna, I do wanna say this. Um, at our church, a core value that we have is that we are gonna respond to what God has done in joy, through joy. Now, that doesn't mean we don't grieve with those who grieve. There's a, there's a time of grieving. We have, we, in fact, we have people in our church right now that are in a season of grieving. That doesn't mean we go over and slap them on the back and go, hey man, pursue joy. You know, start to smile. <laughs> That's not what that means. What that means is we're going to cultivate joy together even in a season, even in seasons of grief and in every circumstance. But our table value is that. We're going to respond with joy. We're going to respond with joy. We're starting today our, um, uh, or, or we can start signing up for our small groups. And so our small groups have been, because of COVID season, have been all over the place. Um, but we've got a pretty good, we got a pretty good setup for this semester. And so actually in your seat is a, is, a, is a form you can look at in a minute. And I'll just encourage you today, we've got a lot of opportunities so that we can do number five on that list, so that we can be together. Not just here on Sunday mornings, not just serving together in some of our teams, but even in, even in groups that we have that we're putting together for this semester so that we can be together. Why? Because that fruit of joy is produced there. We just gotta, we just gotta take it. Hey, would you close your eyes with me this morning? I wanna pray for you. If you're in here and you would just say this, Joel, if I'm honest, if I'm honest and I'm using a scale, I'd say that there's a, there's a joy deficit in my life. I feel like there's a joy deficit. I feel like I'm missing that connection to the fruit that you talked about and I want that to change, would, will you pray for me? If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high and you put it right back down, nobody looking. Yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yes, yes, yeah. The enemy seeks, to, seeks out to steal, kill, and destroy. What? The joy that God's put in us. So that's what we're gonna pray for. Maybe you say, Joel, I, I, I know what I need to work on in these areas. You listed five of them, I know what it is. And so as an act of confession, I'm gonna lift my hand and say, I know what it is and, and, and I need prayer to help courage to move through it. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high? I know what it is that I need to work on. I'm gonna do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. God, we're grateful we get to respond to your goodness. We get to respond to what you've done and we get to respond to the joy you've planted in our heart. God, we love you. I pray that you would fill this church and make it a base, core value, brim, brimming to the top and overflowing. God, this church with joy. Put courage in our church 
so that we can choose the joy that you've cultivated. Give us the, the ability to cultivate it in our own lives. And we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, real quick, in your, um, uh, in your seat, there's a connection card. If this is your first time or, uh, or, or you've been a few times but you've never put your information on there, we'd love, Lindsay and I would love to uh, uh, know who you are and just send you a note in the mail. We're not going to chase you down or, or beat on your door or anything. We're just going to say thank you for coming and uh, would love to would, would love to have the opportunity to do that. Um, also, uh, those of you that call Four Corners Church home, there's a lot that's going on. In a few weeks, we're going to share a really, really cool plan for this space in here. And uh, But until then, I just want you to know, I want to thank you for those that call Four Corners Church home and for giving um, uh, to the church. It goes to a lot of uh, ministry areas. And uh, if you want to do that this morning, the ways you can do that are on the screen. It's you could do it online. You could even text. Uh, and then there's also a, a, a bucket uh, in the foyer. You can put your gift there as well. So let me pray this morning and then we'll uh, be dismissed. Father, thank you for um, that, that you're, um, because of the core love and joy that you have, you responded by giving your son. God, that's what you do. God, joy gives. And so I'm grateful for the gifts of this church, for you giving to us. And God, in response, we give back to you. We pray that you would bless this. God, bless these gifts, these that are responding to what you've asked them to do. And extend it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, on your way out, there is, uh, um, uh, we have a, a table in the back. If you want to fill out, if you have a group that you want to sign up for, you want to participate in, or you have questions, we got a table in the back. Melinda's back there. And she's waving really high. She loves waving. And uh, she would love to talk to you. You can go back there and uh, ask questions. She has all the answers in the world. No, she has, she has answers. You can, you can turn those in too. Hey, do this for me. Would you stand up? Hold out your hands like this. May you today, this week, this month in your life, may God cultivate the fruit of joy unlike you have ever known or experienced in your life, brimmed to the top, overflowing so that all those around you may experience the goodness of God and turn and glorify Him in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, love you guys. You're dismissed.